0: I want to just, before I start my sermon, I just want to say something to this family, which is, wow, Uh, last week, Friday night, I had a kidney stone start to drop. And for anybody who's not had that happen, thank God for the rest of your life that that should never happen to you. The only way I can kind of describe it is, is what it feels like is, is if you could just take a chainsaw... And right about here, if you could just take that chainsaw and just cut your body in half so that all that painful crap down here would go away, that you'd just feel really good. I mean, seriously, that's how bad it hurts. They say that it's awfully close to what a woman feels in childbirth, which makes me want to say, women, you deserve a medal. You deserve a diamond tiara. You deserve your own kingdom. Okay? I mean, there's nothing that we could give you that would put up with, you know. I mean, I know we're a pain, but I had no idea what a pain we were, okay? Uh, But here's why I'm bringing this up. I got to tell you, you know, I I was basically unconscious for 24, about 36 hours, where they're just knocking you out because the pain is just so bad that, you know, the best thing to do is just knock you out to where you don't know it. You know, And, and I have to say, when I woke up, I just had this just just outpouring, and it's happened all week long, this outpouring of care and of concern. In fact, let me use the right word for it, love. Just this outpouring of love. And I have to tell you, as painful as it was, a little bit like childbirth, I'm not going to say it was worth it. (laughs) Because it wasn't. (laughs) But I want to say, I just can't... you know, here's, the, here's what comes to my heart. I really hope that every single person in this room gets to feel the love of this family without a kidney stone, <laughs> provoking it, okay? But I really hope that every person in here gets to feel what I got to feel. Literally until today as I was walking in and people, every person that I saw, you know, I mean, just, you know, really a, a moment of, are you okay? Thank you. I mean, this is what it's supposed to look like. Okay, this is what it's supposed to feel like. John Banks preached last week, and I was awake enough to be able to hear that. And, and and I, you know, he said, wow. He said, I've never come to a family like this. I've never come to a body like this. The way I've been treated, the way people talk and interact with each other. And I just have to say amen. You know, I got to be the beneficiary of this. So, love you guys. Thank you. Okay? Now, a second thing about this, and we're, we're heading into the sermon proper right now, but but there is something else that's really cool and that is so I I, Friday night this happened and at Saturday I literally wasn't able to call anybody or talk to anybody I was way too out of it so Julie called John Bangs at about noon on Saturday and said you know could you preach for Kurt and I I, when I was awake enough and she said what do you want to do about tomorrow because we both knew that wasn't going to happen and and at that moment in time what I said to him, I thought, I went, well, John Bangs is an itinerant preacher. In other words, he has sermons that he's done recently at other churches so he wouldn't have to make up a whole new sermon in a half a day. You know what I mean? And that wouldn't just totally stress him out and kill him. He would do it because he loves me, but, you know, I just thought, you know, he could pull one out. Sure enough, he had one, and he did, and, and it went well, and we're going to talk about it some more here in a second. But I want to tell you another really cool thing about this body. At this point in time, I've had six, maybe five, maybe six people now tell me, the next time this happens, call me. Even though it's only a half a day away, I'll take it. You know, this is a body. This is a family. Isn't that cool? (laughs) And this is not pastoral staff, paid people, professionals. This is us. You know what I mean? And the fact is, is doesn't everybody know? As good as John's sermon was and all that, this isn't about John's sermon, but doesn't everybody know that that would have even been cooler in a certain way? Right? You know? So I'm just like, this whole family, this whole body is just making me go, this is cool, okay? I am just blown away by who you guys are and what's happening here and what God's doing in us and the way that we're saying yes to what he's asking us to do and stepping up and doing it, amazing. Now, I want to do something here because it's interesting when I look at two weeks ago the men were gone and, and I asked Maureen Thatcher to preach, prayed about it, felt like she was the one and she just knocked it out of the park and, and here's basically what she said, and if I, if I get it a little wrong, it's for purposes, because I, I, I've heard it, but, and it was a great sermon, but, but here's what she was basically saying. It goes was, was something like this. When Kurt, but really God, not that I'm God, oh boy, uh, <laughs> Okay. but when God starts pushing us as a body, to step up, to prophesy, to preach, to, to minister, to, to heal, to lay hands on to heal, to get into our workplaces, to get into our environments of our everyday life, to do these kinds of things and start moving in the power of God. When God pushes us to do this, she says, my first reaction is, I'm afraid. What if I give the wrong word? What if I do this? I don't know how to do this. I don't, what about this? What about... You know, my first reaction is fear. Then she says, but then I respond to it, and I start actually moving. I start stepping out. I start moving. I start, I start willing to, you know, God prompts me with something. I give a word in church. I give a word to my neighbor, to my friend, to a coworker. I Somebody's sick, and I lay hands on them. I start doing the things that God has asked us to do. And she says, and I see God move. And that gets me all excited. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm getting really excited about what God's doing. And then she took it to the third place, which was... And then that makes me kind of ticked off that I could have been a Christian for this many years in church being told about how wonderful God was and people weren't encouraging me to actually experience it. (laughs) This is not okay. And this is true, isn't it? And this is not to raise up Lake Sam above any other church. This is not my point at all. I just want to say it's incredible the amount that this does happen in the Christian experience that we've reduced it to hearing a good sermon and feeling about something that was became a revelation to us and that this just not what it's about at all is it you know what I mean this is an encouragement to go out and do something and that's where Christianity is <laughs> right this is the equipping but you can be equipped for war and sit in your bedroom all day long and never experience what God has for you right so we get out there and we move and we do this and all of a sudden things start happening and it starts getting like, well, wow, I had no idea that Christianity could be like this. I had no idea that this was what God could actually do. I had no idea that this is what my life could be. I had no idea. I no, And all of this stuff starts happening and in a certain sense, you can take that sermon and you can contrast it in a way. And I don't think that this is accurate, but I just want to say, here's what John Bangs did, is he came and he said, I want to propose to you to find God in the daily grind. Now now you can take and put a false dichotomy between those two sermons and say, in a certain sense, what what Maureen was talking about was making your life spectacular. And John was kind of talking about making it ordinary. Let me make something clear. There's no difference between what Maureen said and what John said. What we're talking about is not all of us becoming televangelists with big healing crusades and private jets, and multiple homes. That is a perversion of the gospel. I'm not saying that everybody who does that... In fact, the funny thing about those televangelists is, look at them sometime. We'll get to it in a second, but look at them carefully sometime. When they do fall, there is a love for God that's in them. It gets perverted and it gets twisted and it goes weird places and that's what we're trying to do in this thing. But I want to say, when you start talking about finding God in the daily grind, that's what empowered this whole series that we're doing is about. It's about finding God in your workplace. Why? Because those people aren't going to come here. (laughs) And God's church does not exist inside of these walls. God's church exists in us. We're the temple. And he takes us and puts us where somebody isn't going to... He takes us and puts us where somebody is so that we can bring the church to them because after all, it was God who brought himself to us in Christ. (laughs) So that's the pattern. That's what he's doing. This is what it looks like when we're doing it right. And it's about the checkout line in the grocery store and it's about the time that you're spending with your friends at night. And it's about the time that you're spending with your family. And it's it's about coming to church expectant for God to move. Through me. Not just move somebody else, expected that God has given you something to bring to this body. But not just coming here to do that, being that. Being somebody who in the workplace with your friends, with your family, with your neighbor, at every time, it is really getting this thing to where every, all the time as we're transitioning from one moment to the next, from say work to after work, from say home to work, from you know all the things that we do, it's as we are in these transition moments that we would take a moment and say in the daily grind, is there something that you have for me to see in the next thing that's about to happen? Is there something that you want me to do? Right? In the ordinary of life because the truth is if everybody was walking the way that Jesus wanted them to walk we wouldn't need televangelists and everybody would be doing the normal Christian life which would be making an enormous impact in the world through very ordinary things that's where we're headed now today what I want to say is is God is gonna take that idea this flow that he's been doing throughout this sermon series. And I've got to tell you, of all the sermon series I've ever done, this one has an anointing in it that I've never felt before. Every sermon writes itself off of the last one. They're not a sermon here and a sermon there and a sermon. It's God is putting these building blocks in place. I can feel him doing this. And even to me not preaching last week at the last minute, and you're going to see why in this sermon. This is a much better sermon than what I would have given last week. In fact, I would have missed the whole point of it if I'd have preached it last week. And this thing that John did helps to take us into this proper place of balance in the Lord, like what we want to get to. So what we're talking about is this. If you want your life to be filled with God, Him just flowing out of you in rivers of living water at all times, God doing all kinds of extraordinary things in the most ordinary ways. If that's what you want, then pay attention. (laughs) If you don't want that, I love you. The lobby's there. No, just kidding. Oh, this is awesome. Hayden, you're the one that's praying for us. Where are you, Hayden? Where is he? This is, this is, oh man. You guys are going to be hearing a lot about Hayden and his, his Bible study that has started down at the UW district and all this kind of stuff. Uh, This is somebody who I knew for a long time, but a little bit like Jamie, I'm getting to know a lot better right now because he's come to me with some things and said, I think God is doing this in my life and I want to talk about it and so on. And I'm beginning to discover who he is and who God has made him to be and I am, this guy is spectacular. So what a great choice. I don't know who picked that, but that was an anointed choice. So Hayden, uh, pray for the sermon, pray for another church. Well, thank you God for this uh, last week that we had. Um, I just pray that today uh, you use the words that are coming out of Kurt's mouth to just touch our hearts and To help guide us in our ordinary lives, God. Uh, And I want to pray a prayer of protection over your missionaries overseas. uh, Amen. And that you continue to protect them as persecution just hits them time after time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Get to know him. Okay? All right. I want to welcome you to our series, which is Empowered. And it's this idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon us and empowering us to do His will. He's called us to do things, and we're going to do it through Him doing it through us. Okay? And so we've got this this whole graphic and so on. I do want to call your attention to a Holy Spirit mashup of Luke and 1 Corinthians. And it's just important for me today to remind you what we're doing here. What we're doing is, is we're going through the the gospel of Luke, but we're not going through it as the book of Luke and what does it have to say because it would take us 10 years to do everything that the book of Luke has to say. What we're doing is, is we're going through the book of Luke and we're looking at things of the Holy Spirit that are being highlighted because, unlike more so than any of the other gospels, Luke highlights the work of the Holy Spirit in an incredible way throughout his gospel. And so what we're doing is we're not reading it for all the material that's in it. We're reading it for the insights it's going to give us about those things. And what we're saying about Luke is, is, that this is where the Holy Spirit empowerment is being done right. Because what we're saying is, in Corinthians, just, you know, just a couple of decades after Christ dies, we've already got a church that is moving in the things of the Holy Spirit, but in a way that has become so cockeyed that it's 180 degrees different than what it's supposed to be. See? In other words, what God gifted us for was when somebody came into our midst to be able to move in his gifts in a way to let them know that there is a God, that he loves them, that he knows them. In other words, he reads their mail and they say, God is here amongst you. Somebody, there is really a God. You know, I get it. And he loves, he knows me and he loves me. Now that's what the gifts are for. But what the Corinthians have started using it for is a combination of things, one of which is, I'm more gifted than you. See how antithetical, see how opposite the Spirit that is? It's not helping other people, it's puffing you up. Okay. And then the other thing that they're doing, which in Christianity today, a lot of people, you know, there is this sort of, there is the, the vast majority of the church, and, and I'm going to say there's a lot of charismatics in the church today, but I, but I have to say that I don't know what the percentages would be exactly, but there's probably 60% of the people that go to church right now that would say something like this. Francis Chan writes a book, and he calls it The Forgotten God. And what he's saying is, is that somehow we've started doing Christianity without the Holy Spirit. We talk about him, but we don't know him, and we're not experiencing him, and he's not working in our lives. And I would have to say it's more than half of the church is having a Christian experience like Maureen was describing. 20, 30, 40 years in the church and never having really entered into the third part of the Trinity. <laughs> you know? The part that Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away so that I can send him. <laughs> so that he can do what he wants to do, the same things he was doing through me. See? And he wants to do them through you. You get it? Right? So how did this happen? Where did this disconnect happen? But it has happened right and then there's this other fringe element which is probably only about 10% of the body that has gotten into if satan can't keep you in the ditch of a form of godliness having denied its power then he pops you over the high proper road of god into the other ditch which is a hypercharismania that is out of control and it's a holy spirit party again it's about self just to a large extent not fully i've been part of the holy spirit party so i know whereof i speak okay and so the bottom line is, though, is it is in a way that is not God about us. See what I mean? And so we've got this other percentage in here, however large it is, that that really is pursuing the things of the Holy Spirit in a way that isn't in one ditch or the other, but really is getting to that high, narrow, where God wants it, right? And I could say a lot more about all that, but... But I don't want to because what I want to get to is is where we are today, and that is this. I go on my walk. I've read the passage that is the next passage I think God wants to talk to us through, and I, I, I look at it and I pray about it, and I get these are the next verses God wants me to read. And then I say, okay, and I'm trying to model for you how I think our lives are supposed to look, all right? I'm not saying my life is to be an example. Please don't follow my example. Please follow what I hope to do right, okay, instead. You know what I'm saying? All right? But the point is, as I go on my walk, and I'm looking at that passage, and I always say, when you're reading your Bible, look for speed bumps. A speed bump is something that sort of catches you. It's sort of, there's something that kind of, why? What, what, what's up with that? Now watch. I'm going to read you a passage that seems to have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It'll take me a little while to get it to the Holy Spirit, but this is how God brought me to this place. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that the census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This is the first census taken when Quirinius is governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. Now, the speed bump that I hit was, it wasn't this whole verse, because it was really about David. The fact that David is being mentioned in here. And, and as I did that, as I prayed about that, as I went, you know, again, there's a whole lot of things we can preach about in this sermon and the normal birth narratives and so on. But we're looking for things of the Holy Spirit. and I, I, What God keeps bringing to me is David. Why David? Why David in this? Now, it's pretty obvious here because he's got to go to the house place of David and so on. But at the same time, you've got to understand, God put it in Scripture for a reason. And as I started thinking about it, David, David, David. You know, there's this really extraordinary thing that happens with Jesus, right? And it goes like this The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Uh Uh-uh. He's not the son of David. He's God. He's the one that created David's dad. (laughs) If he's the son of anybody, he's the son of God. He's the son of the Father, right? But really, who He actually is, is God. And how the heck is God calling Himself the son of anybody? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Why is He highlighting this? Not only, look at how much He's highlighting it. This is the very first verse in the book of Matthew. And we'd, let's, 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 let's just all agree that the Holy Spirit wrote this book through the person. So the first verse that God wanted to bring up to people was not, I'm God, which he does in John, by the way, right? In the beginning it was Word, right? But in Matthew, the first thing that he wants to highlight is Jesus, the son of David. Now we can argue about kingship and lineages and all that kind of stuff, but let's just think about it in a broader context because, note, by the end of the book, at the very end of it, we've got crowds went and crowds followed, all of them calling out, Hosanna to David's son, This is his triumphal entry, right? And it's all over the book. And not just Matthew, but Luke and Mark and John. The son of David, the son of David, the son of David, the son of David. Why? What's he trying to get to? What's he trying to get to? You do realize it's so much the truth that he's trying to get to something that Jesus himself brings up this whole problem, right? Right? Because he says it this way, Jesus presented them with a question, why is it he asked that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my God, Lord, it would be like saying, God said to my God, which is already kind of weird, right, because there's only one God, but Lord, this word Lord here, that's such, we don't use that term anymore at all, so we don't really understand what it means, but if you're in the journey class, you know what it means, because what it means is, is everything the one who is in control of your life, the one who has total control, of, the one who makes every decision for you, master. And in this context, it even means all the way to God. And so he's saying, that basically, God said to my God, sit at the place of honor in my right hand until I your enemies, making them a footstool. Since David called the Messiah Lord, God, creator, how can that same Messiah be his son? <laughs> Now, he's trying to point out the incarnation. He's trying to point out that I am the son. I, I, I have humbled myself. I have emptied myself and become a man to walk amongst you. This is what he's trying to bring place to. But here's what I want us to bring place to. I want us to understand. God has, for whatever reason, and I hope we're going to get to that reason, God has taken a yellow highlighter, and he has continually marked in your Bible son of David, son of David, son of David, which is to say what he has said is, look at David. <laughs> right? I mean, if you said son of David over and over, and you're trying to figure out what the heck that was about, where would you go? We'd go to David. So we look at David, and here's what we see. Pretty extraordinary guy. Young kid in the field, protecting his sheep. A lion comes, tears him apart with his bare hands. A bear comes, tears that apart with his bare hands. Still a young boy. Goliath, a giant. A giant of the philistines has come to challenge the israelites and basically say you know you think your god is so tough he can't beat me david says god will not let that stand the funniest little story does anybody remember a christmas carol that's one of my favorite christmas movies which is dave Brunk's evidence that i have a warped sense of humor and i do Okay? But do you remember a Christmas story? One of my favorite scenes in the Christmas story is, that's the one with the BB gun that he's going to shoot your eye out. Okay? But in a Christmas story, one of my favorite little moments is, they, it's winter and they dress the youngest son up in his coat, remember? And they dress him up so much that he's sitting there and he can't even hardly talk because he's just totally, and he says, I can't, and she says, what are you saying? Oh, and she says, what are you saying? He says, I can't put my arms down. <laughs> And so what they do with David is they put him they put him in the armor to try and protect him from this big giant. And David is like, I can't put my arms down, you know. I can't do anything. So he takes off his armor and he picks up a couple of rocks and a sling and he runs at the giant. Boy, there's a great sermon in here, isn't there? He runs at the problem. (laughs) And he runs and he puts that sling in there and he slings that rock and hits him right between the eyes, but knocks him out. He takes the guy's own sword, the giant's own sword, and kills him with it. Now, now, this is as a young boy. So when God is highlighting David, you know, we got a story, right? There's a lot here. In fact, that's just the beginning to the point that by the time that he's d- done, God has said to the Israelites, I want you to take this land that I've prescribed for you. 400 years they've been trying, 400 years they have not succeeded. David doesn't succeed 100%, but he's about in the 90 percentile. Solomon finishes it off. But David is the one that causes them to be able to take all that land, and he does throw, do, do, he does so by doing extraordinary feats, doesn't he? Extraordinary feats. Okay. So I go, okay, all right, I got it. And I start looking at these extraordinary feats that he does. And I tell you, now watch this. When I'm starting to search the scripture for these extraordinary feats, here's what I expect to have happen. So then David heard the, the Goliath blaspheme against God, and the Spirit of God came upon him and filled with a righteous anger, he moved in the power of the Spirit and slayed the giant. And the reason why I expect that is because almost every other place, there's a few exceptions to this, but almost every other place where we see anybody doing anything that is great, it's said, the Spirit of the Lord, right? Samson is with the Philistines, and he's finally given away his secret, and now he's weak. But he prays to God, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, it says, and he pushes on this basically coliseum, and causes it to collapse and kills all these Philistines and himself in the process, Right? But it said the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. We get this over and over in in the Old Testament, right? Over and over. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me and I prophesied. The Spirit of the Lord came upon and I did this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon and I did that. Even the king that exists before David, Saul, the first king, David's the second. The first king, this is a thousand years before Jesus. The first king, it said things like this are said about him, see? The Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became angry. And this is because these people had done something terrible. But look at this. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He took two oxen, cut them into pieces, sent the messengers to carry them throughout Israel with this message. This is what will happen to the oxen of anybody who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger, and all of them came out together as one. This is God forming them to actually be a nation, something they had not achieved yet, to be one, right? Saul launched a surprise attack against the Ammonites and slaughtered them in the whole morning. And the remnant of their army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. And this was a much stronger army. But you see what it says. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Another time, see, when Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw the group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. So are you following me now? When I'm looking at David's life, what I'm looking for is the exploits that he did and for God to say, as he does so often in Scripture, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But guess what? It doesn't happen. In fact, if you look at the history books, Chronicles, Kings, so on, where David's story is told, Samuel, Samuel Chronicles, excuse me. But anyway, when you look at the history books where David's story is told and you search it out, do you realize that there's only two times that David is said to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? One at the very beginning and one at the very end. Here's how the beginning one goes Saul has proven himself to be not obedient to the Lord. So the Lord says, I'm going to find somebody else. And we're going to get to that in a moment, but watch. So as David stood there amongst his brothers, David, Samuel comes, the prophet comes, and there's all these boys. And boy, there's good, strong, good-looking boys, right? God leads him to this family and, and in Bethlehem and all this kind of stuff, and that's why they're having to go for the census. And he looks at all these guys and goes, oh, that one looks good. Hey, hey, But don't look, God says, as an eye looks. Look, look about the heart. So he, he looks and he looks and he looks and he looks. And finally he says, there must be somebody else here because God's told me it's here and it ain't none of these. I'm sure those boys felt really good about that. Oh, yeah, there's one, but, you know, he's just a scrawny little kid, and he's out there doing the sheep. Well, bring him in. As David stood there amongst his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he brought, and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Now, it's clear from that verse right there, and this one right here that's towards the end of his life, this is David's final words. And what he's doing is he's talking about what he's talking about, his history and all this kind of stuff. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. In other words, the words that I'm speaking, these psalms that I've written, all these things, these things, this is the Spirit of the Lord that's upon me. It's the Spirit of the Lord that's doing this. And from these things we understand something. You do realize that all the exploits that David did were because of the Spirit of the Lord, right? David didn't do it because he was particularly strong or particularly skilled at sword fare right? David did it because he was anointed by God. That's how he did what he did. The same way Jesus ministered because it was the Holy Spirit upon him, not because he was God. He emptied himself of those attributes and then let the Holy Spirit empower him to do the things that God had called him to do. And same thing with David. We understand that everything he did in his life was done because the Holy Spirit was empowering him to do it. But that makes me ask the next question. Why wouldn't he just say that over and over in his life? Right? I mean, why don't I just say the Spirit came upon him and he slayed Goliath. The Spirit came upon him and he killed 10,000. The Spirit came upon him and he... Why don't I just say that? And here's what happened on my walk on Wednesday. See, Wednesday's after Sunday, which is after Friday, when I went down for the count. On Wednesday, I'm getting to pray about this another week. I had a sermon prepared, by the way. Right? Thank God you didn't get that one. Okay? You know, next time I ask him that maybe I'd have something else happen than a kidney stone, but you know. But I'm ask, I'm out on the I'm out on my walk and I'm I'm asking the Lord and I'm talking and I'm trying I know there's something there and I'm still digging and I'm still digging. I knew even when I wrote the sermon and I didn't get done writing the whole sermon by the way that week which is another interesting thing in the Lord I didn't know I was gonna get a kidney stone but I was unable to write the sermon on Friday and I was gonna write it on Saturday but I just couldn't write it I just kept trying and it wasn't God it wasn't God it wasn't God and I, I had something in my mind but it wasn't there and then I got kidney stone I couldn't preach now I'm out there on Wednesday and all of a sudden here's what happens the Lord I'm saying you know gave you all these exploits but you didn't say the Holy Spirit did them and I don't get it and why and, and well here's what he said to me and I would like you to answer the same question when you think of David, what's the first thing you think of? Yeah. Did you see that? That was the first thing somebody said. Did you hear it? A heart after God. That's what we think of when we think of David. A man after his own heart. See, that the whole context of this verse where this comes out is when Samuel's telling Saul, because you didn't obey, God is moving on. Okay, God's choosing another. right? But now your Saul kingdom shall not continue. By the way, it wasn't little, it wasn't little piddly things that he did. It was things that, that hindered the ability of the Israelites to know that God was king. In other words, Saul was taking on a priestly role. And he was hindering, he was marrying priesthood and kingship in a way that only Christ can. Okay, so there was a big deal to this. But, but watch this, See? The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. We're going to discover what that means. The Lord has commanded him, David, to be prince over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. You've done a thing in a way that is communicating the wrong thing and I'm going to find a man after my own heart so that he can communicate the right thing. So again, what we're looking at right now is a man after my own heart. I want you to think about something. When, when God is looking at David's life, I'm sorry, can we, no, I'm just going to wait one second. Okay, all right. Watch. Why doesn't God continually bring up about the exploits of David? When we think of David, why don't we think about his exploits first? Because that's the powerful stuff, right? That's the miraculous stuff. That's what we want to be all about. Right? Don't we? Don't we want to be all about moving in the Holy Spirit and doing these, and having people get healed and doing miracles and all this kind of stuff? Don't we want to be about the exploits? Isn't there something to that which is actually going on here? And, and, and what is happening is, is when God said that to me, all of a sudden I went, oh, when you do a highlight on him, you're not highlighting me to the things he did. You're highlighting me to his heart. If you were to take your Bible right now and just hold it up and then let it fall open, it would probably fall open to about Isaiah. If you were to take just a sliver and push it back, you'd be in Psalms. So I think it's okay to say that Psalms is the heart of the Bible. And what I mean by that is this. There's a lot of things going on in Psalms, but here's what's really cool about it. Psalms is God letting us listen in on a person's inner thoughts a person's dialogue with God. You did this, and this is how I feel about it. I did this, and this is how I feel about it. This is who. What Psalms is, is we are watching a person grow in Christ in the inner dialogue, in the inner parts of it. See? Now, there's a lot of places we could go to do this, but I'm going to take you to the one that I think really should tie David to your heart and your soul so that for the rest of your life, when you think of David, you think of a man after God's own heart because it needs to be your heart, because it is our heart already. I want to show you something. What was David's biggest sin? So here's what David does. See, if if I did a really big sin, here's what I do. Here's what I would do. If I had to write about it, here's what I would do. I would write about it, and then I would seal it, and then after I died, you could publish it. (laughs) Which, by the way, nobody would read, because who would care? It's the person who's being vulnerable in the moment. That has the chance of showing something to people about God, and about life, and about God, life in God. For the choir director, a Davidic psalm. When Nathan the prophet came to him after he'd gone to Bathsheba, for those who don't know the story, real quickly, David does not go to war at one point in time. He's sitting there. He's looking out over the city. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. He thinks, "Bring her to me." How do you? How do you? You know, how do you resist the king? He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He calls back her faithful husband to go and sleep with her to cover it up. He won't do it. So he sends that faithful husband back to the front lines to be killed. So let's be clear. And then after that, the baby dies. So let's be killed. David has had an affair with a married woman. And he has murdered her husband. And a baby innocent, has died because of it. Okay? I don't know if there's anybody that's done worse in here but that's pretty bad here's what David says oh God I didn't really do it here's what Adam said she made me do it right that's what you and I would do right you gotta understand God I was really tired (laughs) I've been doing so much for you and I got really tired and so right Here's what David does. Generous in love. Now this is the message because I love the way it brings it out. The, but this is, this is in, this is, if you were hearing the Hebrew, this is what you would hear. This is what the, anyway. Generous in love. God, give me grace. <laughs> Who are you? Generous in love. i just murdered and sinned and done terrible things. And my first response to God is, you're generous in love. Give me grace. Huge in mercy. (laughs) Right? Huge in mercy. Wipe out my bad record. Anybody ever said that? Right? Anybody ever done something and he just went, oh, oh. You know what I mean? It's dry eraser, right? But it turns out it was impermanent. Wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. You know, get this out of me, right? Out damn spot, it says, Shakespeare, right? Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. (laughs) Right? I'm not hiding. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting a fig leaf on. I'm not trying to cover it up. I'm not trying to explain it away. I am owning it. I hope this is what you're doing in your life. And I can tell you right now, everybody who knows the Lord has, in fact, had this moment in their life. Everybody. My sins are staring me down. Oh. Oh. Now, we, we get defensive quickly, and so we try and cover up. Once again... God, thank you for David, and thank you for the example that we can see in him. You're the one I violated. You're the one who's seen it all. Right? I wasn't able to go behind some screen and commit this sin, and you kind of have a sense of it. You saw it in all of its nakedness. You've seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Now listen to this. What? Whatever you decide about me is fair you see the degree to which he's owning this your judgments about me if you were to kill me right now if you were to smite me for the rest of my life it is fair I've been out of step with you for a long time in fact all the way since before I was born This is not him saying, it's not my fault because I was like this all, you know, right? This is him saying, look, God, I get it from the very moment. If I really want to be honest about my life, there is a part of me that has not been following you and has been resisting you, and it continues to this day, and it has been, and I've been doing this all the way along. And there's some things that I do that make me feel a little bit better because I tend to balance things on a scale, but let me be honest now, God. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Does he not see us? Well, then stop trying to hide. <laughs> Take the example. Come before him completely transparent. Because then he can actually do something. Then it won't have to be him going around your facade to get to you. In fact, he won't go around your facade. He'll wait for you to finally drop it. In fact, this is where he goes, Enter me, then conceive a new life, a true life. Do you, know, you want to know what that says? Can I paraphrase that for you? born me again Do you see it you do realize that salvation in christ jesus on the cross and people being able to be made new creatures is an answer to david's prayer in psalm 51 is an answer to the prayer of every single person that has failed make me new here's the point i can't get it right I just keep failing. I just can't. I, you know what I mean? That's not an excuse to go ahead and fail. It's just owning it. Right? And so what he says is, he says, Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clear. You cleanse me. That's the only way I'm going to get clear. <laughs> you who created me has got to do something in me. You've got to do this more thing. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white filled life. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set those once broken bones to dancing. Joy, because I've been forgiven. The joy of my salvation. The joy of God, who is generous in love, huge in mercy. Don't look too close for blemishes. (laughs) Even now, I won't pass. (laughs) Right? Give me a clean bill of health. Oh, God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week. What does that mean? A new beginning. From the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. And in this, I think the message, I I think he, my, probably my favorite. I don't know if I could say that. but, But, boy, the one that comes to me all the time is take not your Holy Spirit from me. You don't want to know why that's so important to me? Because this is my life. I was a person that was living without God in my life, and I was dead in my sins. And when I say that, I had no idea of that. If, if I looked at my life, I would have said, I do some bad things because of some of the things that I do, but I do a lot of good things too. And I think anybody that would have looked at my life just soberly, the way the world would look at a life, they would have said, you know, not bad. Honestly. They would have said, there's some problems, some really big problems. But overall, you know what I mean? He's, he's okay. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. I think that's what they would have said. And I would have said that. I did not know that there was a problem in my life until the moment that God made me new. And the moment that he made me new, this light bulb went off in me. And when this light bulb went off in me, I suddenly knew what was dark in my life. And things that I did not think, I knew some things were bad. But there were other things that I did not think were bad, and suddenly for the first time I recognized why they were bad. What the heart was that was wrong with them. And I'm telling you, I went from darkness to light when I got saved. I was old enough to get it, and I had a salvation experience. I went from darkness to light, and I have never forgotten that. It's just as clear in me today as it is the day that it happened. But over the intervening, I guess that was 1976 or 1983, so whatever that is, seven years, over the intervening seven years, I actually slipped back into a lot of the old stuff that I was doing before, even though I was saved. And I still love God. I was still witnessing to him. I was bringing people to the Lord, right and left. But I slipped back into a lot of the sinful patterns and habits that I had had prior. Some stuff that you would go, that doesn't go with Christianity. Yeah, I get it, but, you know, I did. And then he baptized me in the Holy Spirit in Easter, 1983. 1983. Baptizing the Holy Spirit, for those who don't understand what I'm talking about right now, is simply being empowered by Him. I asked Him to come in and start doing things through my life to empower me. The way that I see in the Gospels, the way that I see in Acts, the way that I see in Luke, the way that I see the Holy Spirit coming upon people and doing things. And I did not recognize that that was part of my life. And do let me say, now watch this, I was going to an Assembly of God Charismatic Church and I'd never heard about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and I was going there for probably three years I think at that point in time in fact this is a church that was so charismatic at one point in time that the city of Denver in the nineteen fifties was closing down at noon so that people could fast and pray and now here I was experiencing it in the early nineteen eighties and for me I was hearing a lot of great messages about God and I was hearing things about the Holy Spirit but I was never hearing anything about being baptized and being empowered and moving in this. I was marine. I was the person who was going to a charismatic, spirit-filled church and they were never talking about being charismatic or spirit-filled. Being empowered. So when I say that this is a real thing, this is a real thing. And this is still happening in the body. It's a whole other day and it's a whole other way. But the fact of the matter is there's all kinds of people out there that love God and believe the Holy Spirit moves. But it's not something that is something that they're going after in their own lives. Not really. Not the way that God would have it for the benefits he would have it for. And that's what we're getting to. But I want to say when I hear about take not your Holy Spirit from me, I want to say my salvation experience from darkness to light was dramatic. Life changing. Life changing. But can I tell you that my, my experience from before being baptized in the Holy Spirit to after was just as big as my salvation experience. It was just as life-changing to me. So when I think about salvation and baptism in the Holy Spirit, I don't think of one as being superior and the other being, well, if you can get it in there. I think of them as being both equally important. And having lived with the Holy Spirit for the number of years that I have, and and believe me, when I talk about hyper-charismatic, you need to understand, you guys, I was hyper-charismatic for a decade. More than that. Okay? Everything you've ever heard about, I was doing and then some. And I mean literally having those televangelists stay at our house because we were rich and we had a nice house, and they liked nice houses. Sorry to say that. Makes me feel terrible. But you catch the drift? So, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is having lived for so long in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gracefully and gently, although dramatically, moving me into the fullness of what it actually meant, the kind of things I try and preach to you all the time, when he did that, I, I just owe him everything. And I just cannot even begin to think about what a life without him, without the Holy Spirit. When I say him, I don't mean Jesus, I mean him. I couldn't imagine a life without Christ either, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit leads me to Christ, leads me to really understand who He actually is. So I love Him even more. But the point is, I cannot imagine living life without the intimacy of the Holy Spirit on a just a moment by moment, minute by minute, second by second reality in my life. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, says David. This is a guy who's lived with it since he was a boy, and he's saying, "Oh, don't take that from me. That would be the worst." Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. The Holy Spirit breathing. Give me a job of teaching rebels your way so the lost can find their way home. That's me right now. He didn't take his Holy Spirit from me. And I have a job of teaching rebels. (laughs) Thank you, God, huh? Commute my death sentence. God, my salvation God. I love this. God, my salvation God. (laughs) The one who's gracious in love. The one who's huge in mercy. God, my salvation. I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, and I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. (laughs) I love this last line. Heart shattered lives lives, ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. When I broke myself, that's when I found you. (laughs) Now let me ask you, What was God highlighting when he said, Son of David, over and over and over? What was he highlighting? That. (laughs) A man after his own heart. That's what it looks like. That's what it is. So here's what this sermon is about. God has given us the keys. This is an unfortunate metaphor because it's so consumeristic. God has given us the keys to the fastest car ever built and we're not driving the car. We're not even getting in it. Let me take you to a place that's not so materialistic, right? God is inviting us in, in a short-cutted way, in a beautiful way. He is inviting us into the closest possible intimacy with Him. And He's given us a way to get there. Here's what we do, right? Here's what we all do. You know that before you get saved, you've got to get your life cleaned up because you're not worthy of God, right? Right? Well, that, no, that's the opposite of true, right? What's true is when you finally recognize I can't do it, then you ask Him to come and save you, and then He does it. This is exactly what David just said, right? So why do we not understand that that's true in the things of the Spirit, says Paul. Oh, you foolish Galatians, why do you try and finish in the flesh what was begun in the Spirit? Okay. The, the point that he's saying is, is how is it that you're going to get really cleaned up in your life? How are you going to become the kind of holiness that you can really become the kind of oneness with God that your heart wants to be? How are you going to get there? Is it you that's going to do it? I've got to get right with God before he can ever move through me and lay hands on somebody and see him get healed. I can prove to you that that's not true. I've done it okay you do not have to be clean you just have to be empowered but when god moves through you you really want to be cleaner (laughs) right if i were to illustrate this i think it 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 runs something like this i'm going to skip over something here this is i'm just going to tell you something i'm going to skip over this sermon i'm going to skip over this next verse this is moses has a similar experience to David in that his story has more of the Holy Spirit. And Moses, think about all the miracles he did. You know, plagues and Red Sea and, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? But yet when God is trying to go with Moses and point out what was important about Moses, here's what he does not point to. Well, he did all the plagues. You know, that's why he's greater than you, Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, his brother. When God points out what's greater, what's more important, what's the real thing about Moses that's important, what he says is, and I'm just, just drop down with me. You see, listen carefully. If there's a prophet, I make himself known in visions and dreams. I don't do it that way with my servant Moses. He has the run of my entire house. With Moses, here's how it is. It's not about visions and dreams and miracles, even though he does a lot of them. Here's what it's about. I speak to him intimately in person, face to face. Plain talk without riddles. Do you see what he's doing here? He's locating the right thing the right way. He's saying it isn't about the miracles that Moses did. It's about the intimacy that he and I share. Think about it this way. Of, the, of all the Old Testament characters, who are the two that show you the most who God actually is in his mercy, his grace, his love, his intimacy? Who are the two? David and Moses, right? More so David than Moses, which is why we're focusing on David, okay? Okay. But that takes me to this place. That's empowerment. Okay, that's God moving through us in power. And let me say something like this. That's kind of like the surface line. That's kind of like above ground. The empowerment is the things that people can see, right? And when you do those kinds of things, people can see them. When you lay hands on somebody and they get healed, they can see that. When a person comes by from the dead, well, by golly, you can see that. Okay? But what's the point of it? Can we make something clear? The God who created all the heavens and the earth doesn't actually need you to do anything to get done what he wants to get done. Right? I mean, if he made the heaven and the earth, he's like pretty good at doing stuff. Like he's good at execution. Okay. So why does he then limit himself to doing it through us? Because he does, for the most part. Why does he limit what he does as being through us? Why does he do that? Because it's going to bless us. It's going to change us. There's a feedback loop in play here. When you move in power, when God moves through you, There is this perversion, Corinthians, right? That makes you want to go circus and show. Right? That takes you off. That's how you can spin it off into that other ditch. But if you really get what's going on, what's going on is, I could have never done that. Silver and gold have I none, says Peter to the crippled man. What I do have, I give. God, stand up and walk. When we get it right... In God and we're moving in power it's not about the circus it does this thing where it touches them and that so blesses you you do realize that every pleasure that the world would have you get into to distract you from God drugs alcohol sexual conquest all of the pleasures of life you do realize that all of those pleasures of life are perversions of the things that God wants to bring you into right See, God is trying to bring you into these pleasures. He's built us to be people that will receive and and like pleasure and will pursue it. And when you lay hands on somebody and see somebody you love get healed, there's no drug, no alcohol, no sexual position. Nothing can ever even remotely compare with the pleasure. When someone gets saved and comes to realize the difference between what they thought and what is. When someone has a word spoken to them, and it changes their life, and God used you as an instrument? Wait a minute, God, I know me. I know me. This is awesome. This makes you want to do this more. And what happens is, as you're empowered, it causes you to move into the deepness of God. It causes you to repent of your sins more. It causes you to be more naked and open to Him. It causes you to just get rid of the crap (laughs) so that you can start moving in the glory more and more and more. In fact, I'm going to show you an illustration of this to bring it home. And to do this, I'm using Professor Paul Hawkins. Okay, so Dr. Hawkins, would you come forward for just a second? Okay, I'm just, just wrapping up right now, but I just just want to go, okay? Now, can, can, somebody said, somebody literally said to Paul, and I love Paul. Paul is one of the ministers in this church. Paul is amazing. The number of people that Paul has touched and reached and made a difference in is incredible. But can I just tell you something about Paul? Somebody said to Paul when he was standing up here, they, they came up and they said, I've never seen you in the sanctuary before. <laughs> Paul is a minister of the gospel and comes from a family that is ministers of the gospel, okay? But I, Paul's an electrician, and so I asked him to do an illustration for us, and he came up with a better one than I had, okay? So, so this is, oh, I'm not supposed to tell anybody that? Oh, really? Because you're, you're, you're your union card in trouble right now? I didn't say that. Erase that, okay? Okay, but here's the point, okay? This is Dr. Hawkins, okay? And what I want to do with you is I want to show you something. We're not plugged in yet. Don't, don't, nothing's plugged in yet? Or is it, is it plugged in? Well, I just want to show you something. Right now, there's a wire that's coming. This is a live wire, okay? And there's a wire that goes into this water right here, okay? Now, that means that the circuit should be connected and that light should go on, right? Right? I mean, it's in water. You want me to stick my hand in there and see how it'll go? Right? Nobody wants me to do that, do you? Because I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay? I just did a, hernia, or a, a kidney stone. I, you know, I'm good for it for a while, all right? But I want you to think about it. See, what happens is, is that when we bring the Holy Spirit into our lives, the saltiness of the Holy Spirit, we, we just go ahead, just, we just, when we get saved, see, what happens is, is that something takes place inside of us, and all of a sudden, yes, work. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't get saved enough. Let's baptize him again. Okay, here it goes. See? Now, now, now that starts to come in here, but I want to show you something. See, you get saved and there's a certain brightness to it, right? Look, it's the difference between dark, pitch dark. What's the difference between pitch dark and just a little bit of light? Everything, right? I mean, because before you couldn't see anything and now you can see everything, right? So the difference between darkness and light is a lot, right? But then here's what happens. See, that same Holy Spirit that came in you and made you new is the same Holy Spirit that wants to continue to fill you. As you will put yourself in a position of being available to him. And when he does that, what we're doing is is we're putting the Holy Spirit in our life more. And we're putting the Holy Spirit in our life more. And we're putting the Holy Spirit in our life more. And what happens is it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Our lives become brighter and brighter and brighter. Our insides are becoming less of the world, the water, more of the Holy Spirit, the salt. The more of the salt that we're putting in there, the more of the Holy Spirit that we're putting in there, the more that we're coming into the intimacy of God. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. Okay? If you will become a person who will go into your workplace and before you walk in the door, ask the Lord, is there something you want me to do? As you're at your desk and now it's time to stand up and to walk somewhere and you're going to see someplace. And before you go, if you would just ask yourself this simple little question, Lord, is there something that you want to do? Just keep my eyes open. You know what happens? Here's the truth 80% of the time, nothing. Let's make that clear, okay? 80% of the time, nothing happens. You know, you're going to get a drink of water, and you're going to get the drink of water, and you come back, and that was it. But the 20% of the time, you see somebody, you reach out to them, you pray, God moves. Maybe sometimes he doesn't move. You go back to the Lord and you ask him, why didn't you move? And you press into him about how, to, how can you make you better. You don't bail at that moment in time. You realize that like anything, this thing of the spirit is something to be exercised. And the more that you exercise it, the more that you do it, the more you learn about how to move in it, but more importantly, him. And the more you learn about him, the more you know how to move. And the more you move, the more you know about him, and the more you know how to move, and the more you you see how it works? And it's just always doing this thing inside of us. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this congregation comes before you right now, and what we are asking you to do is to make us bright lights. What we're asking you to do is to make us quick to every moment, to every moment in the daily grind to turn it into that we are there for you and that you have something that you could want us to do and that we are Here are we, send us. Remember the word at the very beginning of the service? Don't write off the church. I can renew it. Here are we, send us. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, this congregation right now, this beautiful body, this incredible family, these loving people are coming before you. And with our hearts, we are saying, as did David in his psalm, if you make me clean, I am clean. If you empower me, I am empowered. If you move through me, then people get reached. Then people get help. Then I am transformed evermore also. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before your throne saying, Here am I, send me. Take that communion that's right in front of you, would you?